0: morning on what we started last week, which was rejection, and um, it was like a, it was a huge, it was like a 16-page thing, and I know you guys wouldn't have sat for that, so we just kind of broke it up. Um, So today we're going to continue with it, and today I want to talk about conditional love, and um, I want to say something up front, is that people are not mind readers, I can't read your mind to know what you're thinking. I can't read your mind to know what you need. Sometimes we have to speak up and say what we need, amen? Because we're not mind readers. And also, I've said this before, not everybody thinks alike. And I can see it contrasted with my husband and I. He is very oriented on getting that one task done. And he thinks about nothing else but getting that one task done it's very upsetting to him if he has to switch gears and go do something else in the middle. I'm the opposite. I'm the Tasmanian devil and I'm all everywhere trying to get something done. I'll go over here and, well, this is, this is why when I was a secretary, I made a good secretary, because you have to switch gears. You can't just be on one task. You have to, while you're working on something, pick up the phone, not that he doesn't pick up the phone and things like that. But you may have to pick up the phone. You get called away. You have to do a 100 things before you get back to what you originally planned. So my brain doesn't work the way his brain works. Mm -hmm. And all of our brains work differently. So we have to give each other grace when it comes to things. When we wanted a cat, well, when I wanted a cat, when we moved up here, um, I kept posting cat pictures on my Facebook page and tagging my husband and saying, this is a cute cat. And he goes, no, we don't need a cat. We don't need a cat. And I just wore him down, and I made the promise that I would clean the litter box. You know, don't even have to think about it, because it's like, well, where are we going to put the litter box? I said, well, we can put them in the, the little spare bathroom, and it'll be fine, you know. Well, and, and I'll clean it every day. Well, that's kind of sloughed off. And I thought about it this morning. Is he cleaned the litter box today because I've been kind of busy the last two days. <laughs> and so, and, and with two cats using it, it, it fills up pretty quickly. And so I happened to man- mention that I hadn't cleaned it. And so he was right on it. And I mean, he does thorough. I just kind of scoop up the chunks and throw it in, and I'll shake out the mat outside and put it back in. But, you know, he cleans it thorough, 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 thorough. And it takes him longer to do it but he did it, and the point of this is, because he knew I was busy, he knew that my day hadn't gone the way it had was supposed to go the last two days, I was kind of, Monday, I don't know what happened in the afternoon, I think I was distracted with all the storm things and stuff, but I didn't get a thing done Monday, and when you don't get something done Monday, when you've got a minister on Wednesday, you have a problem on Tuesday, <laughs> because now you're doing double time. And then we discovered something else, so now I had to put in, I had to make ice cream yesterday because otherwise we had some strawberries that were going to go and we're going to have to throw them out, and I hate to throw food out, especially now, so I had to work that kind of in and work a few things in. And, you know, so, anyways, we come to this morning and he cleans the litter box. And that said love to me because he could, well, you can start a war in your house with things like that. By just doing it with, and he was very, he wasn't mad at me, at least I don't think he were. But he just did it. He didn't grumble under his breath. He didn't bang things around. I got up this morning, I got up a little bit later, and um, I was taking things out, and he goes, are you mad at me? Well, because I, I wasn't talking. But I was trying to get things done, so I wasn't talking. I wasn't mad at him. I wasn't talking. But see, when you love somebody, you have the freedom to ask. Are you mad at me? You seem like you're mad at me. No, I'm not mad at you. I'm just banging things around because things are clicking and things are going. But he didn't bang things around. He didn't mumble under his breath. He didn't start a fight with me over, I promised to clean that litter box every day. Why didn't I do it? And see, sometimes we could head off a lot of conflict if we just try to look at it from the other person's point of view. It says we must be a servant of all. And sometimes we can head things off by just giving somebody else a little bit more grace. Now, if it gets to be habitual, then, you know, he can say, well, you know, can we talk about this? You know, I'm always cleaning the litter box every day. "Can, Can we talk about this? So it's not that hard. But you see, with that, we need to go to that person. with And a lot of conflicts and a lot of problems in the church would be solved if we just went to the person who had the conflict. And I've talked about this before, but this ties in so much with love. If Clarence had a problem with me cleaning the litter box, he wouldn't go to Doris and say, Doris, would you speak to my wife? about cleaning the litter box. You appear to be a very clean person. You can understand my side of the story. Now, would you just go speak to Pat and tell her that she promised to clean the litter box? So Doris, and you know I'm not picking on anybody. It just, it's a small congregation. <laughs> so Doris, instead of going to me, goes to Barbara and says, you're not going to believe Pat, Pat's so dirty and she won't even clean the litter box. <laughs> yeah, that's, how you start. that's how it gets started. But see, it could have been nipped right away if he had gone to me. I was the offender. But sometimes we just can't wait to tell somebody else about what somebody else has done. And we have to take that spirit of gossip and we have to choke it. Amen? Amen? Because that's not love. Sometimes we criticize people. Don't criticize what you're not willing to help change. Amen? You know, if you don't like the way the bulletin looks, instead of criticizing it, say, well, you know, they do a lot around here. Maybe I can help them do the bulletin. Or if you hear crying baby in the back, I wish they'd get somebody to do something about that you heard the baby, get up and get the baby and take it to the nursery. But see, don't criticize. We we have, as people have a tendency to criticize and then don't do anything about the problem. You know, if you see a piece of paper on the floor, oh, they don't clean this church good enough. Yeah, everybody should be picking up a paper. If you see something, pick it up, don't criticize. Do it. It's just so elementary, and yet we feel sometimes because we're not, we don't have a strong love walk that we have to criticize, 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 and yet we don't make any, we don't help to make any changes. There's a lot of pressure on people these days, and sometimes instead of criticizing, and if you can't do it, I mean, I realize that I could probably do the bulletin quicker than anybody in this congregation, just because I've done bulletins for, you know, ever. We'll just say ever, and not just like, pick a year. But, um, if you're critical, then just go pray about it. If you can't do it, if you can't do run a computer, if you can't do something, then pray about it. and Say, God, I can't do it, but can you send somebody to help do it? I see there's a need there, so can you just send some help? Amen? And stop criticizing. Easy. Conditional love. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about how it's tied into rejection and criticism and judging. Conditional love will never unconditionally accept somebody as a person, but rather they love them according to the conditions of their performance. Conditional love expects performance. Unconditional love never rejects an individual but only rejects their offensive behavior. There's a difference. We don't reject the whole person, but we reject their behavior. Conditional love always demands complete compliance because conditional love is controlling. And we can see with what's going on in the um, atmosphere or in our world system, you're not allowed to question anything. You know, until until the laptop comes in handy and they want to get rid of somebody, and then, now all of a sudden, it's it's okay to question things. So see, it's demanding complete control, complete compliance. If you don't comply, then guess what? You're canceled. But what is love? Love is acceptance of the entire package of who we are. That's what love is. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters. Now, some of us didn't have such a great thing with our brothers and sisters, so it's like, you want me to be a sister to you? Mm-hmm. No way. But in God's kingdom, brothers and sisters are very precious. Think of the person that you love the most. Think of your children. Think of your husband. Think of your brothers and sisters. And that's the way we're to think of one another. There, I would never do anything to intentionally hurt my husband, Ever. And that's how I have to think about every one of you. Is I would never do anything intentionally to hurt any one of you. Because I love you that much. And that's how we really have to think of one another as brothers and sisters. Why? Because that's the way God thinks of us. It says in 1 John 3.1 Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it knew him not. This is how they know us, because for our love, one for another. It says in the last days, we read it last week, that the love of many is going to grow cold. So this is a very important lesson, because we need to learn what real love is versus conditional love. The definition of conditional is imposing, containing, or depending upon a condition. Conditional love says that I will love you as long as you are doing what I want you to do. I I hope none of you have relationships like that. If you mess up, do something that I don't approve of, or have a different opinion from mine, I will reject you totally because you fail to live up to my standards. So what we're saying with conditional love is, I'm God, and you're the subject. And in my rule, in my world, my rules are the rules that go. Conditional love also is manipulating, because conditional love is, if you displease me, I will react, I will punish you, I will pout, I will reject you, I will hurt you, I will put you down, I will do whatever it takes to get you back into line. And we can see this in the world system right now, what's happening is that it's not love at all. But it's compliance. They want your complete obedience, and this is what conditional love wants: is your complete obedience, not to God, but to me. Conditional love always controls. That uh, if not, then that love is withdrawn. That person just pouts, makes himself unavailable, um, bangs things around, hits, sometimes abuses verbally. Emotionally, sexually, to get that other person punishment, because there's always punishment. So we have to think if we've been if we've been subjected to that, then our view of love is going to be very differently from somebody who was nurtured when they were children. See, if you're when you were a child, if you were shamed every time you made a mistake, oh, what would the neighbors think? Oh, look what you did. You're you're just so stupid. Could you, how could you even say that? Okay, what happens is you start internalizing that, and those things are very hard to break, even 50, 60, 70 years down the road, if that's the way you were treated when you were a child. Why? Because your character is formed. Basically, you're 85%, your character is formed by the time you're five. So those first five years are extremely important. If a child makes a mistake and the parent is... Looking toward their future, the child will be disciplined. You know, like let's say the child spills something. That's a mistake. That's not a sin. And instead of shaming them and screaming at them, the parent goes, Okay, well, here's the cloth. Let's clean it up together. Mistakes happen. It happens with all of us. I dropped two eggs on the floor the other day. I don't know how I did it two of them. I couldn't stop at one. I had to do both, right? You know, and it's like, oh, look at that. And Clarence goes, it's no big deal. We'll just clean it up. And he spills things all the time, too. We just, it's no big deal. Clean it up. Now, the cat has a, a little habit of sticking his head in the cup. Of th- he loves to drink. The cat, water, water. The cat drinks water. But, <laughs> no, he loves to drink. Sounds like he's an alcoholic, but he's not. But he likes to stick, if he sees a cup around, he will get that cup. He will stick his head in the cup and try to get. He's done it to me in my sewing room when I have a cup of water for the iron. He'll stick his cup, he'll stick his head in the whole measuring cup and try to get the water out. So when he spills it, he gets in trouble. Because he's not supposed to be nowhere near cup. We can't leave cups anywhere. Because the cat will come and he'll try to drink it. It's just, it's but he needs to be disciplined for that. We have grace for one another when we spill, but when the cat spills something all over the table, he has no grace at all. Absolute love is a type of love that God requires us to have for one another, but he's demonstrated his unconditional love for us. Now, unconditional love does not mean he does not have boundaries, and that's what the big difference is. God has boundaries. God has certain parameters for us, these boundaries are defined in the Bible. Exodus 20, 1-17, I'm not going to read it, they're known as the Ten Commandments. Those are our boundaries. God is sovereign. So people have a, have a thing about God. They blame all of the problems that man and the devil have created on God. Well, you know, if God was real, why are people starving? Well, if God was real, why is there sickness? Well, if God is real, why did that... Why did that tornado come and knock my house down? Well, it's not the, none of those things are God's fault. It's not God's fault. God has been wrongly judged by human standards. He's told Adam that he had dominion, that the the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth belongs to the Lord, but right now it's being temporarily overtaken by evil. That's going to change when Jesus comes back and then there's the millennial reign and all that but we're not going to get into that this morning but right now the earth is not under God's control Now God allows things to happen and so this is where people get tripped up well you know why does he allow things to happen well I don't know I'm not that much of a I didn't go to Bible college and I don't know if a Bible minister can fully explain why all these bad things happen to good people you have to get the book I guess and read it but God is not the cause of these things in God's mercy and grace he'll help us he understands the rain falls on the just and the unjust but God didn't do it he gave mankind dominion over the earth man has a free will There's enough food in this world to feed everybody. Now that's going to change as we see droughts and everything else happening because God's going to put some judgment on us because we have been the ones who have pointed our finger at God and said, God, how did you allow this? You know, it's so funny. People who are in total rebellion to God get into trouble and then they look up at God and go, well, how did you allow this? If you're a loving God, you wouldn't do this. It's like, well, how how well are you obeying God? Because if you obeyed God and you studied his character, you'd see that God is mercy, God is grace, and God is an ever-present help in time of need. But people who are in total rebellion, they love to point the finger at God. You know, it's like what's going on, and I I have to bring up political things because it's, it's, it's the best example alive. It's like nobody... Nobody in Washington wants to take blame for everything that they've done. You know, first it was the former president. You know, now it's somebody in Russia. That's, it's their fault that things are happening here. No, it's not. But we have people that just don't want to take responsibility. And then we can see with those that agree with every, everything that's going on, they don't want to take responsibility because they're just like their father. So we leave that there. God sees it all. God is love, and yet people do go to hell. And people go, well, I can't serve a God that would send people to hell. Well, you religious thing, you. You rebellious thing. People choose hell by refusing to choose God. They choose to go. In this country, there's enough gospel life that everybody should be saved. And you can't blame it on well, you know the things that I had one minister that whose children were total, total rebellious. All three of them total rebellion, and the wife would go, "Well, they're a total rebellion because of they saw what was going on in the church growing up." Good luck with that when you get before God. See, the whole thing is is we need to take responsibility for ourselves. Mm-hmm and that's sometimes hard. God's Their choices don't reflect God's character. If he can warn people that their rebellion will result in a, an eternity of torment. I mean, God could have kept that to himself, couldn't he have? He could have chose not to say anything about hell. And just go, oh, you're so wonderful, you rebellious little people. And you're going to go to hell when you die and wait till you see it. But he didn't do that, did he? There's warnings throughout the Bible of the consequences of disobedience to God. It says in Isaiah 1:18 to 20, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and re- rebel... They shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The warnings are there to help us to see. An unloving God would not warn. An unloving God would say, "Well, you made your bed, just lie in it." How many times have we said things like that? Because we're conditionally loving people, we're judging them, we're, we're saying, "Well, you know that you did that. Well, what do you expect?" An unloving God would love his people conditionally and not have mercy and grace available. God is all mercy. God is all grace. God sees every tear that you cry. God is not judgmental. God sets boundaries. We don't understand boundaries in this country. We don't understand that a no means no and a yes means yes. We're too busy pointing fingers. We point fingers back at childhood. We point fingers at one another and yet God says these are the rules, these are the laws. If you break them, this is the consequence. God is very, very clear. It says in Romans 5, 6, and 8, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were sinners... Still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. God didn't wait for us to behave better, to open up the kingdom of God to us. He didn't say, well, as soon as we get good enough, then we're going to go and ferret them out and find them and offer them the opportunity to, to come to heaven and be a better person here. And No, he didn't do that. He did it while we were rank sinners. Look at some of the things that God hates in Proverbs 6:16 6, and 19. These are six things that God hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discords among the brothers. So while we were engaging in behavior that God hates, like that, for God so loved the world. He was sending us the remedy. He knew, even though we were engaging in that behavior that was offensive, he loved us. And he loves us absolutely. He does not make any conditions for us to receive his love. He doesn't make conditions. I'm telling you this because we've got this, you know, you see signs all over the church. You know, God loves you as you are. God loves you as you are. Yes, God loves you as you are. When he gets you As you are. He's not going to keep you as you are. So there should be a little star next to that. Saying come to the kingdom. And expect radical change in your life. See we want to come through the doors of a church. A lot of us want to come through. And we don't want to change. Love demands change. We can't see ourselves as we really are. We can't see how immature, how silly some of the things that we say. We can't see that, but God sees everything. And God says, I love you unconditionally. (coughs) You're a lawbreaker, and yet I want you to come into the kingdom. You've got to bow your heart toward me. Bowing the heart is more important than bowing the knees. (coughs) But he expects, he expects us to come to, come to him, un, and he loves us unconditionally. But now we have to trust him when we get into his kingdom. We have to trust him that he's going to help us to change and to become more like Jesus. It says, For God so loved the world, John three sixteen through 18 that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. He sent Jesus on the cross to die so that we could be in relationship with God. Jesus is the mediator, he's the middle person. But the people who are condemned are the ones that don't believe in God. It says it right there. They're condemned already. So it's not upon us to heap more condemnation. Our jobs are to be like Jesus when we go out in the public. You don't want to ream out the cashier. You don't want to ream out the salesperson because they did your order wrong. We've tried to order soccer balls all month. And... This company that I work with out in California to get the soccer balls, for some reason, their shipping department or whoever handles the orders isn't always on the ball. Because I've had many orders that have had to be reordered and that. So I've learned if I don't see, once the tag comes that your order's on the way, then in UPS it says, you know, it's in transit, it's expected. Well, if all you see when you look at the order is it's on its way, then you know that they haven't, the order's lost. So I've had to, you can't even email them. You have to use Facebook because whoever monitors their Facebook account can actually will actually do something about it. So three times in the last month, I've said, well, I've noticed that it's on its way, but it hasn't, can you check into it? Um, second time, you've drawn the money out of our account, but the order's not on its way. Can you check into it? The third time, last Week, I noticed that it's still not on the way. Is there a way that we can resolve this? He sent back and he goes, I'm so sorry it's on its way and we've taken $20 off of your order. Hey, hey I can do, I can deal with this. Okay? Now I could have been mean. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to order from you people again. But I know that whatever, there's a, there's a weak link in their thing and I wanted the soccer balls. So we got our soccer balls, and because I was nice about it, we got $20 off on it. I suppose if we had not been nice, we still would have gotten the $20 off. But there's ways to do it that you don't have to be ugly about it. And we don't know where these people are at spiritually. You're very, I called the, we had to call and get something for, for princess at the vet. And she goes, I have to put you on hold. I said, that's fine. I mean, what do I care so I put the phone on speaker and I'm continuing to. I was in the kitchen doing something I don't know. And about five minutes later, she gets back on. She goes, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was so long." I said, "Well, I said next time it might be my cat You know, don't worry. People are under pressure. They're under pressure. You know, if you if you wait 10 seconds longer than what some people want, they're they're up in arms and they're in a rage. Road rage is high." So how much more is it that we behave like Christ in these situations? So we went up there to pick up the medicine and I said, you guys are always so nice. You're so nice up here. Because they're answering, they've got three people up on the desk answering phones, getting things. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Somebody's got a sick pet. I want somebody who has a sick pet to take priority. All I needed was a refill on my prescription. But see, it's all perspective. How can we behave better? How can we let our light shine? Very small things, very small adjustments sometimes bring out good, good changes for us. Second Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in we, him, we might become the righteousness of God. It was for our sake that Jesus showed love for submitting the, to the plan. Jesus didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. I think we just think that Jesus had to do this. He had a choice. He could have said, no, they're not worth it. Just why don't you wipe them out and we'll start a new one. But he didn't do that. So when we become a member of God's family, we must always strive to grow in our love toward one another. Why? Because family members can be irritating sometimes. And you know in your own household, I mean we had what six weeks of six weeks of slowing the spread and we got to really spend time with the people that we lived with. Clarence and I had a great time. It was like this is <coughs> really this is okay. But we have to strive to grow in love with one another. We must learn to not reject a person because we do not like what they're doing. We have to separate what they're doing from who they are. We must not excuse or enable a person's bad behavior because we like them better than somebody else. You have two people doing two wrong things. Person A is excused in our minds because we like them. Person B is persecuted. No, no. Both need to be corrected. It's not love to enable somebody just because you like them better. We must learn to cover our brothers and sisters in prayer because if we truly love someone, we will cover them in prayer and not stir up strife. We're all going to have bad days. We're all going to do things that are going to be irritating. We're all going to say things that it's like, huh, why did they say that? Chalk it off to just an off day until it gets to be a habit. Learn to give people space. Proverbs ten eleven through 12 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. See, I want my mouth to be a fountain of life, don't you? Why? Because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I want this to be a fountain of life. But look at this, the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but the rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. So I want to have a mouth a that's the fountain of life. So when I correct somebody, I want to do it in weakness. I want to do it in, I'm not better than you, and this is an area where you're weak and I can see it. This is why we're here. Like I said last week, if I'm walking off the cliff, I want somebody to tell me before I go off the edge. When the peop- once per- people become born again, their perception of love may be warped. and We have to understand as we start to get people in here, their perception of love is warped. Because they may have grown up with critical parents or they're in a critical situation, they may not understand total acceptance. And they may become offended when they're corrected. They may believe that Jesus loves them conditionally when they perform the right Christian way. See, a lot of people think that. Jesus only loves me when I'm doing the right thing. They may think I have to earn his love by doing the right thing. A lot of people are performance oriented. When I please God and I do good, then I'm loved by him. When I don't please him, I feel rejected. If I feel like I'm not pleasing God, I may get depression because there's nothing I can do to please God. God is the unpleasable parent that I had growing up. And now we've transferred those feelings from our parents to God because now God is the unpleasable. But see, all that is is that inner voice saying, oh, you stupid person, look at you, crack the eggs. Well, you're going to have to go without breakfast now because there's your breakfast. It sounds harsh, but that's the way some of us have grown up. I may stop going to church to mute that voice of God because sometimes we sit in the sanctuary and the pastor might be saying something and it's like, well, how does he know that about me? I bet you my wife told him. I bet you my husband. I bet you something's going around the church about me. But that's that rejection. See how they're intertwined? Or this person may have perfectionistic tendencies and nothing is ever good enough. And we have this joke. I'll say, well, that's good enough because I heard a pastor say that. I came out of a church where everything had to be exactly perfect or you just didn't do it. Well, that's very challenging for a person like me because I tell you all, it's not a Broadway performance. If we make a mistake, if somebody's not hitting the slides all the time, or something's happening, don't worry about it. It's not Broadway. This is a church. It's a place of worship. There's a place of grace here. So if we make a mistake, well, well, we just move on. You see, people, it's just so to a person with perfectionistic tendencies, that's not excellence of ministry. Well, no, it's ministry by imperfect people is what it is. I may say the wrong thing this morning, not intentionally. I'm not perfect. So then people get offended if they're perfectionist and say, well, what do you mean? You're supposed to be perfect. You know, but perfectionistic tendencies ruin the enjoyment of doing any task. I refinished my mantle in Pittsfield. It was beautiful, except for this one tiny spot perfectionist people would have either tried harder and harder to get rid of that spot and it wasn't something you could work out if you understand when you refinish furniture sometimes you just can't it just won't happen unless you like destroy the furniture and then just start it fresh but um, if you're not perfectionistic you can look at the whole thing and go that was a good job, you did good the perfectionist is going to look at this one tiny spot and it's going to bug them they may have to move to get rid of that, they just don't enjoy it, and then they make everybody else miserable by their perfectionist standards because they didn't do it. Re- they don't do everything right, and that's tied in with conditional love. You're not doing it right, so since you're not doing it right, I'm going to punish you, and you are going to do it right before it's over with. So it's a horrible way to live. You might as well just be free. Okay, this person who feels that God loves them conditionally may try to be a super saint and do everything and anything they can prove that they are valuable. People are doing everything. That's why we try not to let anybody do everything because there's a lot of pressure on there. We don't want anybody doing everything. And we've said if there's a program, you know, there's things we would like to do. I'd love to have a Bible study. But We're not doing it, so we need somebody to step forward. I'd love to have a nursery, but we can't do it. So we need people to step forward. There's things that we would like to do, but we can't do it because we can't do everything. people might say, but you're the preacher. You can do everything. No, we don't have to do everything. That's not in the Bible. Amen? Amen. But super saints, they just try to do everything, and, and they run the risk of opening the door to have getting worn out, broken down, and bitter because nobody's helping them to do everything. There's a lot of things, like I said, we would love to have here. And we're going to get them when the people come in. Right? Amen. And some people openly or secretly criticize and compare themselves to others so that they feel better about themselves. In 2 Corinthians 10.12, there's a warning. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Don't measure my weakness to your strength. We all have different strengths. We all have different weaknesses. That's why we're supposed to be together. It says... In Ephesians four, fifteen and sixteen. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which it was which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. My weakness is, is somebody else's strength. And that's when we come in and that's when we shore up somebody and say you have a weakness here but I have a strength here. Let me do it. I'm looking for somebody who has a strength to walk on the roof because we have two lights that are out. And I, I'm scared of heights. Don't want to do nothing with it. I never did. Never liked heights. We have a tower up at Mount Greylock in, um in Williamstown. Went up the tower and pretty much piddled my pants. When I got up there, I ran up really good. But see, was those iron, those scary iron stairs that when you look down, all you see is the bottom? I had to hold on to somebody's shoulder going down because I was scared. See, my strength was going up. My weakness was going down. If I realized my weakness, I would have never gone up. People with critical spirits judge from their point of view or by what their perception of a situation is. God tells us not to judge, but to test the fruit of another person's lives. And listen to this in 1 Samuel 16. This is when Samuel went to go anoint David as king. I'm going to read 1 through 7 because it's important to kind of set it up. And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How shall I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint unto me him who I name unto you. And Samuel did what the Lord spoke and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, "Do you come peaceably?" And he said, "Yes, I have come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice." And he sacrificed and he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. So Jesse had eight sons. Eight sons. And it came to pass when they were to come that he looked on Eliab. Eliab was the oldest. And he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, No. Look not on his countenance, or on his height, or his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Eliab looked like a great leader, but he was a coward. And see, God knew he was a coward. God knew it. And you could see in Goliath they were all trembling. All of his brothers were sent out, and David was sent, David was sent to check on them. But his brothers, they were like, there's a giant. And David said, Who is this man that troubles Israel? So we can be deceived by someone's appearance and words if we're not careful. This is why we need discernment. Our perception of a situation is heavily influenced by what we see with our natural eyes and the perceptions we have. I was reading of a minister, I was read, well, I was actually reading a book this week by a minister, and he was telling a story, he's fourth-generation minister, and his dad was a minister, And he has two sisters. One of his sisters was in the hospital. So he picked up his other sister and it was raining. So he got out of the car, got the umbrella, grabbed his sister, and then walked into the hospital. Well, one of the church members saw it and said, This man is cheating on his wife. See, he went by what he saw and what he perceived. How many times do we see an incomplete story and we make assumptions from it? That's those, those conclusions we were talking about. Samuel was influenced by Eliab's stature and thought he looked very kingly. And he looks nice in a suit. Looks good. Talks good. Handsome. But inside he was a coward. And God knew it. Even God knew he was not fit to be king. Because we can't get a right conclusion until we know all the facts. And we will never know all the facts about everything, because only God knows. So sometimes we're judging out of something that is so totally, then you can judge out of prejudice. Because somebody looks a certain way, then we make assumptions about them. You know, maybe they have a man bun, so we make assumption about their character. And they might be the sweetest little people. You know, my daughter in love, oops, just saw a dog run by. My daughter in love has purple hair. So you can make assumption about that. Sweet person. But you can make the wrong assumptions just by looking at somebody. God says in Matthew seven, this is in the Amplified one through five, it says, Do not judge and criticize and condemn others so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemned yourselves. That's the law of sowing and reaping. For just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, you will be judged and criticized and condemned are in accordance with the measure you use to deal with others. It shall be dealt out against you. Why do you stare from within at the very small particle that is in your brother's eye, But do not become aware of and consider the beam of timber that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me get that tiny particle out of your eye when there's a beam of timber in your eye? You hypocrite, first get the beam out of your eye, then you will see clearly to take that tiny particle out. And the Donut Man has such a great illustration. He's got like this telephone pole log (laughs) coming out of his eye and it tries to help somebody and he keeps hitting them with that log because he's walking and it's its really, um, it was a good illustration. But why? If you have a beam in your own eye, and this is, God is saying you know, here you sit there and you gossip and you criticize somebody all day long get the beam out of your eye. Go to prayer for somebody if you see something. But please give people grace. I don't want to be the church that is full of judgment and criticism and condemnation. We want to welcome people in with the proper boundaries. I mean, we can't, you don't allow sin. and I mean, you have to rebuke it. But you do it privately, not publicly. Amen? You do it in love. Because a lot of people, I mean, I was living with a man. Not now. I mean, we are married. But... <laughs> And we never, did, you know, I don't mean that like that, but I mean, I, uh, before I got saved, I was. But you want to correct that, and I know in my heart it was wrong, but you want somebody to lovingly correct you, because the walls that says a brother offended is harder to win than a city. You want you, to you put the walls up if you're condemning people. You put the walls up. You won't be able to speak life into them. Because the wall is up. They know that you're out to get them. We don't want the wall to go up. It says, we must judge ourselves and judge our acts, but we must not judge our brother to assume such an authority over others as we do not allow them over us. We must not sit in the judgment seat to make our word a law to everybody. We must not judge our brother. That is, we must not speak evil of him. We must not despise him, reject him, or set him at naught. We must not judge rashly, nor pass a judgment upon our brother that has no ground, but is only the product of our own jealousy and ill nature. Sometimes we're just jealous of somebody. Be happy with what you have. Or work hard like the other person worked to get what they got. If you're jealous of their education, of their house, of their whatever. We still live in America, I don't know for how long, but we still do, and hard work has always been rewarded. We must not make the worst of people, nor infer such invidious things from their words and actions that they will not bear. We must not judge uncharitably, unmercifully, nor with a spirit of revenge and a desire to do mischief. Sometimes we just don't like somebody. They wrote us the wrong way. Their personality. Well, we have to go back to they're our brothers and sisters. They're the brother or sister that that my I, my sister Jean was a tormentor. She just liked to aggravate me. <laughs> but I, and being the youngest, I got to get away with things because anytime there was a problem between me and Jean, and my sister Jean was one of the bad girls in the family, so anytime. There was instigation, i I probably instigated too, but any time there was a punishment to be met out for that, it always went to Gene, not me, because I was the perfect baby. Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful that we're not doing things in revenge. Do not judge the heart of somebody else. Why? Because God sees the heart, not you. Nor their intentions, for it is God's prerogative to try the heart, and we must not step into his throne... Nor must we judge of their eternal state, nor call them hypocrites, reprobates, and castaways. That's stretching beyond our job description. What we have to do, therefore, is to judge another man's service. No, we don't. We don't judge another man's servant, do we? No, we counsel him and help him, but we don't judge him. And that's where you take it to prayer. If you see something... You don't criticize it. You go to the Lord in prayer and say, "Lord, open up my eyes to see correctly." Especially if somebody gets on your nerves, you better go to the Lord in prayer and say, "Lord, help me to love that person." I've told you this before. Somebody just rubbed me the wrong way in the church, and I said, "God, I, I can't stand what they're doing." I mean, they were taking gross liberties. And I, you know, I complained to the Lord, and the Lord said, you don't love him. And I said, huh? And he said, you're not praying for him. You don't love him enough, pray for him. Well, that just upended my card. Because I was on a high and mighty roll, complaining about this other person. I couldn't see their heart. Amen? Amen. I mean, they weren't engrossed in. They weren't doing anything. They were just kind of taking advantage of what was going on in the church. And they were just aggravating. Their personality aggravated me. And God said, You're not praying for him. You don't really love him. I was like, Oh, I do. I do. I love him. He said, No, you don't. And that's when I learned about a love walk. If you love somebody, you pray for him. Amen. So we get to now, we're going to kind of switch a little bit into a different area of discerning of spirits. And that's when we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual insight, not clouded by our emotions, natural sight, or our prejudice. The Holy Spirit will give us insight if we ask Him. What is spoken and done comes from three spirits God's, the devil's, and our human spirit. There's no other there's no plan D there. So we have to know how to discern what is what is said in what spirit is said. It says in first John four one through four Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. Hereby we will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and that is the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now is already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The ministry of Christ and the Holy Spirit is to be our defense attorney. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. It's not our job to help the devil with his accusations. It's our duty to watch out for others and help them, but not to judge according to our standards. And you can tell what the Spirit is if you talk to somebody long enough. You can tell that there's something behind it that maybe isn't godly. You just let people talk. We have to be sometimes better listeners than speakers because sometimes we can hear what people are saying. If we let them talk, we can know and God will reveal from what spirit they come from. Amen? Unless you're very familiar with somebody's life story, you're in dangerous place if you criticize their behavior, motives, etc. Remember, everyone is not like you. Everybody will not express themselves the same and we won't do the same. If we judge others and criticize them, that same will be brought upon us, and thus the rejection that we have felt is going to be fed. That's where criticism, rejection, all these things work together. We may feel inferior because we have freely criticized and judged others. See, sometimes we feel inferior because we open our mouth and we criticize, and God says, well, there, you know, if you sow that, then you're going to reap it. So we continue in a cycle of criticism and rejection that was started when some of us were kids. We need to break that cycle. God does not criticize us as a person when he judges. He only tries to redirect our behavior through repentance. God loved Cain just as much as he loved Abel, but he wasn't going to allow Cain to make his own rules and to do his own thing. God loves all of us, but he's not going to allow us Make our own rules. God's got the rules. This was not a criticism or rejection of Cain as a person, but it was a rejection of his rebellion against God. Setting boundaries and expecting others to respect them is not conditional love. If I say no to something, it doesn't mean I'm rejecting you. It means I'm saying no to whatever you want me to do. But that's not conditional love it's wisdom. A boundary violation can be dealt with in love. Relationships do not have to be severed over a boundary. Um, Boundary Boundary failure. We all need unconditional love. We can all thrive if we love each other unconditionally and treat one another as if we truly are brothers and sisters in the same family. Like I said, unless you've had, you know, brothers and sisters from the pit of hell, <laughs> and you can't relate to that, then just ask God. Say, God, help me to love my brothers and sisters the way you would have me to love them. God loves us, and you can look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 to see some of the attributes of love. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Well, that kind of maybe disqualifies many of us. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful, vain-glorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, it is not rude, and does not act unbecomingly. Love does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person, its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. And that's the character that God wants us to be. That's the character of God. God is love. You want to know who God is? Look at this passage of scripture. Read it over again, and this is who God is to us. He's patient, he's kind, he's long-suffering. He accepts us as we are unconditionally. He knows rebellion is in our hearts. He loved us anyways. It's up to every individual to choose repentance, to give our hearts to God, so that he can help us to become more like Jesus. Let's love one another unconditionally. Let's help each other to grow in him. Amen. All you have to do is smile more. That's right. Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do that in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for flesh condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He sent Jesus in the likeness of flesh. He didn't send Jesus as a sinner. Jesus never sinned. It says in Romans 29, 8, 29 through 32, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, we're same family. He's the firstborn, we're the many. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His only Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? We have everything we need to love unconditionally. We have to ask God every day to help us. And I want to close with this pasture first. I keep. I must be thinking about them cows.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Passage, First John four, five through twenty one. It says they are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He know he that knows God hears us. He that is not of God hears us not. Hereby we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. That's the church we need to be. We don't need to worry about helping God um, keep rules. We don't need to be that kind of critical, ugly, judgmental, mean, horrible Christian who's always trying to get everybody to conform to their rules. We don't need to be that. People are not going to stay in the church if we're mean to them. We treat them bad. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We ought to recognize the great love that God had us when we were in total rebellion. God sent Jesus to save us. He didn't send Jesus. He said we were already condemned. He didn't send Jesus to rail upon us and be mean to us and tell us. Jesus was only mean to the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they should have known better. What they were doing was they were operating out of a religious spirit. And Jesus didn't like that, and he let them know that. And they were supposed to lead the people into righteousness and lead the people. And they didn't do that. He said, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. So we can be glad that God is perfecting his love in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he has given of us his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. We're going to have boldness in the day of judgment, because why? Because we're the righteousness of God in Christ. We won't have to come before God ashamed, because we criticized and beat down his body. Amen? Amen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear is torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. So in that passage, 1 John 4, 5-21, we have a lot of truths in there about love. God is love. God expects us to increase our love walk. God expects us to lay down some of the things, some of our ideas, so that we can walk in love. Because that's what's going to impress the world. It's not The world is not going to be impressed by how we dress. The world is not going to be impressed by a program we have if we don't have love. It says, if you don't have love, then you're just clanging cymbals. You're just a bunch of noise. I want my words to matter to somebody. I want my words to be healing to somebody. Amen, don't you? Mm -hmm. I don't want to be ugly or rude or mean and, and think that I'm doing God's work. Amen. Let's just bow our heads. Father, we just thank you for this time. Lord, help us to be more like you every day. Father, our love walk is imperfect. And, Lord, you're able to help us to be better every day. And we just thank you that you would bring back to our remembrance how much you loved us and what you saved saved us from. And, Father God, I am taking authority now over every mean, critical, negative thing that we have thought in our heads because of a childhood, because of the way we were brought up, because of the way we were raised, Father, that little voice inside of us that, that had us to to say things and do things, Father, that that are critical and mean. Father God, we just choke that at the root in the name of Jesus. Father God, I thank you that you release everyone, Father, from that spirit of judgment and criticism. Father, just touch every heart that's listening. Touch them, Lord. Let them know that you love them. You sent Jesus to die for them. And Father God, help us all to be better people. Help us all to be better representatives of you. And Father God, we thank you that as we produce fruit, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the
1: Lord to be Jesus. Like that the...
2: Sounds It's going to be those that's lined up with God. Hallelujah. With the Lord says it's over and he wants his church home. That's what's going to happen. Praise God. But the Lord is still on the throne. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Well, let's stand to our feet this morning. Thank God for those that came, those that watched my Facebook live. We know God's doing something in your heart and life right there where you are. Father, we just give you praise, and we thank you, Lord, that as we leave here today, that we can say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Lord, you've ministered manna to us, and your food to us. By your spirit, we're going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. Father, we just give you praise and glory Lord, In Jesus' name, God bless
1: you. Amen.